The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well, it's almost August, so that means it's time for an illustration about the Miami Dolphins. I held off as long as I could, but it's not. There's some people clapping. Thank you. You know, that's thank you for clapping for that. Um, so here goes one of my all-time favorite Miami Dolphin players to watch. And there's many, but one of my favorite Miami Dolphin players to watch was the defensive end, Jason Taylor, the Hall of Famer. Yep, yeah, he's good. And watching him play uh, football, uh, he did things in the NFL that, like, you only see, like, in a pickup football game. Like it was like, he was just playing with them. Like he wouldn't just like sack the quarterback. Like he'd run, he'd just easily get by the offensive alignment. He'd get to the quarterback and not just tackle him. He'd then knock the ball out of his hands, then scoop it up and run it back for a touchdown. It was like he was a one man army. He was an incredible player to watch. He wouldn't just, he wouldn't just knock down the football. Like he would like tip it to himself, catch it and run and score a touchdown. I mean, he was an incredible player to watch. And I remember watching Jason Taylor and I remember thinking to myself, I'm so glad he's on our side. I'm just glad that he wears aqua and orange and that he plays for the Miami Dolphins. Like what would it be like to be our poor rivals and have to face off against Jason Taylor? Like what a terror to be an opposing quarterback knowing that at any moment you might be dominated by Jason Taylor. I'm so glad he's on our side. And then one season, he lost his mind. Now, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Um, all I know is there was one season that he was no longer playing for the Dolphins, but he went and played for another team, and not just any other team. He played for the team that shall not be named. <laughs> he played for the team that is in New York, out of New York City, and I'm not talking the Giants, okay? He played for that team whose colors, I think the official color is nausea green. I think that's actually, like you know that emoji, emoji that's about to vomit, like that color green? That's their color, okay? Did I take it too far just then? I might've just stepped over the line. Okay, let's pull it back, all right. He played for that team, and I'll never forget, for one season when all that's right in the world was broken, okay? And I remember watching that game and seeing Jason Taylor come out against the Dolphins in that uniform. And I remember, like, this is not the way the world and the universe is supposed to be. You're supposed to be on our side. Now you're on their side. Like, whose side are you on, Jason Taylor? Okay. Now, thankfully, that insanity only lasts for one season. He came back to the Dolphins, played for the Dolphins. He was back in the aqua and the orange, and um, he eventually retired with the Dolphins. He's on the Dolphin honor roll. He's a Hall of Famer. He now coaches down in Miami. Thank goodness that everything was right in the world. But I bring up that story so that we can just, you can get into that place where you felt that tension of like, whose side are you on? You're on our side, then you're on their side. Now you're back on our side. Whose side are you on? And I bring up that question because at times when there is division, that's like the big question. Like that's the big question. At times when things are divided, the big question is, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on their side? 
You know, um, I would say that we're in a time in our society where there's a lot of division. But I, I want to be careful because sin and the enemy is always dividing. There's nothing new under the sun. Like there's always division. In fact, the, the longer I go, the more I believe that the only thing that it can actually bring true, authentic, sustained unity is the gospel of Jesus, where it humbles our hearts, helps us cling to the truth, but offer grace. I mean, only the gospel can like really bring sustained, authentic unity. So I, I want to be careful when I say that the, the time is divided because the enemy is always trying to divide. But I, I want you to go to a, uh, just this thought with me for today. I want you to imagine where we as a society will be one year from today in terms of unity and division. One year from today, we will be three months away almost from an election. And I want you to imagine like what this next year is going to feel like. And I want to look at the scripture uh, because here's what I've titled uh, the sermon and uh, who cares about the sermon titles? I usually don't know and I usually make them up and no one pays attention. But anyway, here's the sermon title. Um, how to survive an election cycle and not lose your soul. How to survive an election cycle and have a soul that's intact. I want you to go with me to the book of Joshua chapter five. We're just, we're not kicking off a new series. This is just for today, Joshua chapter five. Um, we're gonna look at, at verse 10. Joshua five, verse 10, here's what it says. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. All right, let's pause for a second and let's just kind of get positioned here. Where, where are we at in the Bible? This is a extremely significant little cluster of verses. Like this is a massive era shift, okay? Um, what has just transpired over the previous generation? Moses has led God's people out of uh, Egypt. He met with God at the burning bush. God told him to go back to Egypt, lead his people, deliver his people out of slavery, out of Egypt. He goes back to Egypt, the plagues, they walk out, they walk through the, the Red Sea, gets divided. They walk through, they uses the Red Sea to destroy the armies of Egypt. They go down to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain, receives the law, makes a covenant, they become his people. And then they go to the land that was promised them. They wander over to the land, they spy out the land, they bring the produce out of the land, These, a huge cluster of grapes is one of the things, brings the huge cluster of grapes, but their faith was not strong enough that God was gonna deliver the land to them. So they have to go back into the wilderness 
for 40 years for the next generation to come around. Since then, they've come back around. They're on the, uh, they're outside of, of Canaan, on the other side of the Jordan. Moses says goodbye. He commissions Joshua. Joshua leads them over the Jordan River, and they camp at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. So Jericho, this great walled cities in the distance, you probably know what's coming in the next two chapters. But they are here have, having freshly crossed over into the promised land. They're about to have many battles. And they eat of the produce of the promised land. That's significant because there were always promise. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it talked about the produce of the land. In fact, when they spied it out, they brought the produce out of the land to show everyone. Now they're in the land. Now they're eating for the first time of the produce of this land of milk and honey. They have Passover, and the moment they eat of the produce of the land, the manna, the bread from heaven that sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness, it stops for the first time. Now, I mean, think about this. There are people that are grown adults with children of their own, and they've never eaten anything other than manna. This is a massive era shift. All right. Let's pick it up what happens uh, next. Verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you on our side or on their side? Okay, pause with me there. Joshua's by Jericho. I think this means probably he's maybe going for like a, a prayer walk or something. He's off alone. He's, in, he's closer to Jericho. He's maybe praying, looking at this big city, looking at this, knowing that there's a battle that's coming. He's near Jericho, and all of a sudden a man approaches him with a sword drawn. Joshua freezes. Now, just... Enter into the intensity of this moment, okay? This is, this is not a people that are warriors. They're not even a people that are farmers. There are people that are wanderers. Like, that's what they do. That's all they've done. The, the previous generation that were uh, made bricks and construction and, and had farms and herds, like, that generation is gone. This new generation has known nothing but wandering around following God in the wilderness. And now they're on the other side saying, okay, we've got all these cities. Uh, there's going to be battles. There's going to be warfare. Like, I want you just to get into that intensity of what was coming for them. And here's Joshua looking at this great walled city on the horizon. And all of a sudden, a man approaches with a sword drawn. He's got it like his heart has to sink. He's got to be thinking, oh man, here we go. The battles are, they're already starting. Just this dread as he freezes, maybe takes a couple steps back. And he says, okay, whose side are you on? Like, are you a, a person from Jericho? I don't recognize you. Are you from another group that's here to help us? Like, are you on Jericho's side or Israel's side? Whose side are you on as this man approaches him with his sword drawn? What's the response? Let's pick it up in verse 14. And he said, No, 
but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? That's an interesting answer to an either or. Are you on our side or their side? No. Okay, do you have a good day or a bad day? No. It's an either or, and the answer is no. He says, no, I'm not on either side. Okay, well, why is that the answer? Like, why is this man approaching? He's not on Israel's side. He's not on Jericho's side. Like, um, why? Like, well, maybe he's like, you know, look, I don't want to pick sides because I don't want to offend anyone. Like, I don't want to offend the Jerichoites. I don't want to offend the Israelites. Like, I just, I don't want to offend. I want to make sure that they like me and they like me, so I'm not picking sides. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe the reason is he's like, look, I just don't like all the conflict and the fighting. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to remain neutral. Like, I'm just a peacemaker. Like, I'm not this side and I'm not this side. I'm just neutral, and so I'm just showing up to just say, look, I, I'm, I'm not on either side. It cannot be either of those because he has his sword out. He's not coming like, I'm unarmed, like I don't do the conflict thing. I don't want to upset anybody. I'm not picking any sides. Like I'm in the middle. I'm just, I'm a centrist. I'm not, I don't pick either sides. No, he's got a sword out. So how is the answer no? He's not on Israel's side. He's not on Jericho's side. He says, no, and here's why. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And now I have come. Okay, but, okay, time out, commander. Like, I hear that. But I would think then the clear answer is very obvious. Are you on Israel's side or Jericho's side if you're on the Lord's army? And by the way, it, Lord in your, in your English translation is in all caps. This is not the average word Lord. This is the covenant name Yahweh. This is, that's what that name, that's the name, by the way, that God first introduced at the burning bush and saying, they're my people, I'm gonna deliver them. They're gonna, they're my people because I, I saved them from the land of Egypt. Like he says, I am Yahweh. I, and he, so this man says, I'm the commander of Yahweh's army. I'm commander of the armies of the Lord. Doesn't that mean then that you are actually for Israel's side? I would think that's what you mean. I mean, like, let's review. You, you get this guy named Abraham, you take him out of Ur, you bring him all the way over to this land that we're now in for the first time in hundreds of years. You said, this will be your land. I'm promising it to your descendants. And then even when we went down to Egypt, we always knew for 400 years, we're going back to that promised land that they told Abraham about. It was prophesied. And now finally we're here. And the first time we came around, we didn't have enough faith that you were going to give us the land. So we had to wander for 40 years. And now we're back and we're here and we say, are you on our side? And you say, no, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Commander of the armies of God. Why is the fact that he's the commander of the armies of God, why is the answer no? Because God is not, the commander of the armies of the Lord is not asking if he can join Joshua's side. He's asking if Joshua is on his side. It says he falls down and worships, like Joshua just drops to his face, and worships. 
And then he says, how can, how can I serve my Lord? What, what do you ask of me? This is Joshua. Notice what he doesn't do. He's like, oh man, I'm so glad I've got the commander of the armies of the Lord. Here's the list of things we were planning on doing in the promised land. Here's a list of cities, alphabetized, I have little tabs in there. Could you pass this back to God and ask him to bless all these things? Like we, we need God on our side. God has sent the commander of the armies of the Lord to meet with him to reframe this. God is, I love how um, Dr. Tony Evans put it. He says, um, God didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And he's reframing the relationship before they take another step. It's not, am I on your side? Are you on my side? There's another allegiance here. Now, time out for a second. Who is this? Let's just ask this question. Who's this commander of the armies of the Lord? I mean, the armies of the Lord are these angelic beings, the angel armies. Um, so maybe this is Gabriel. Well, he's kind of a messenger. Michael is, you know, is, is this kind of warrior messenger that leads the angels. It's kind of fuzzy exactly who they are. You know, people wonder and speculate, but it's a little bit fuzzy. So like, who is this? Is this a different angel that is appearing there? Well, what's interesting is uh, every time um, a, an angel appears to a person in the Bible, people just freak out. Like they always just have like kind of an emotional meltdown because they're, well, for one, someone usually, it's appearing out of nowhere, so that's scary. And then for two, they're this glorious, uh, awesomely powerful being. And so often the first words out of an angel's mouth are, don't be scared, you know, up, oh, they got scared, they did it again. Okay, I'll wait. You know, that's usually, you know, they have to wait for them to just calm down. They've got a message, okay? So it's not surprising that um, Joshua drops to his face, but it says he worships. Now, this is also something that an angel will do. An angel, if when a human goes from just awe and fear to worship, the angel is quick to correct that. Let me give you an example of this, and this is a pretty surprising example. Uh, John the disciple, the apostle, this is at the other end of the Bible, at the very end of Revelation, he's been walking around with an angel, and this angel's been revealing all these incredible things to John, and this is what happens, and this is John recording it. Look what he says, this is Revelation 22.8. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me kind of the same dynamic here. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. He's saying, I mean, like, please, what are you doing? Pick yourself up. I'm a, I am a creature like you. I am a fellow servant of God. Pick yourself up, please. You only worship God. So here we have the commander of these, of these armies of angels. You have Joshua falling down on his face and worshiping, same dynamic. What is this angel going to say to Joshua? Let's look at verse 15. Here's what it says. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The angel didn't correct him because this is no angel. He actually says to him, interestingly, the very same thing that 
God spoke out of the burning bush to Moses. Moses was uh, shepherding his flock out in the wilderness. This is before he goes to Egypt. And his commissioning moment is a the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he approached, and God's voice came out of the blazing fire, addressed Moses by name, called him forward, and said, Moses, before you come any further, take your sandals off, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. Moses was in the presence of God. So who is this commander of the armies of heaven? Well, it's confusing. I mean, it's the presence of God. He's not being corrected for worshiping, so he's worshiping in the presence of God. But it says before that, it says a man approaches him, so it's a God-man. Who could this be? It has to be Jesus. Jesus is standing there, pre-incarnate, and Joshua is standing before Jesus. And he falls down on his face. This is the commissioning moment in the same language used at the commissioning moment. For Moses, this is now Joshua's commissioning moment. And right before he goes, here, hang with me. Right before he fights all these battles, he clarifies the arrangement. I'm not joining your side, Joshua. I'm here to ask, are you on my side? In other words, it's not there's Israel over here and there's bad guys over here. It's not you and them. He's saying there's a higher allegiance. Don't ask me to come and join your allegiance. He says there is a higher allegiance. And I want to know if you are first and foremost with my allegiance. Are you first and foremost uh, uh, having the, the um, are you first and foremost submitted to the king, the king above all kings? He clarifies that right at that moment. Okay. The question that we so often ask in times of division is, whose side are you on? Are you on my side or are you on their side? That's the question we tend to ask. And we actually usually assume, well, God is clearly on my side. But the question actually for those of us who fall under the dominion and the reign of the king of kings is not, well, clearly God's on my side, are you on my side? The question is first, chiefly, am I on God's side? He's on his own side. Am I with God? Um, let me shoot straight with you. Just kind of on the shepherding side. Last time we went through this cycle, it hurt. It caused pain in families. It caused pain in small groups. It caused broken relationships. Seasoned, mature Christians came to their spiritual leaders at their church as they should. Some did, some didn't. But those that did, many of them came and said, my family has been broken because we've been broken over all of the division and we've fallen into all of the division and it's caused brokenness and broken relationships and long-term friends, lifelong friends, family relationships were broken and no longer on speaking terms. It hurt. 
seasoned long-term believers for decades approached their spiritual leaders and said, I am overcome with anxiety. I have fear descending. I'm almost immobilized with anxiety and fear. I'm so wrapped up with what's happening in this, in this world. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. It caused division and accusations of brothers and sisters against each other. And, um, and so as we go back into the season... What does the scripture tell us so that we as a church can weather this season with our souls intact? Asking different questions, having higher allegiances. What we're planning on doing this uh, starting this Wednesday, um, we're, we're going to begin a, a series of a, of a podcast, and the podcast is going to carry the same tone, just going to go deeper. How, how do we survive an election cycle with our souls intact. It's not going to be walking through the issues. It's not going to be talking about candidates. It's going to be talking about what does the scripture say for our souls as we walk through this season. The main application for today is to be watchful on the City of Life podcast starting Wednesday as we begin this series. But here's what I wanted to do for today. Long before we get into this cycle, let me just clarify a few things. There have been um, some that have said and, and misunderstood. It says, you know, sometimes it feels like you're not very direct about uh, the church's political stance, and, and I'm assuming it's because you don't want to offend anyone. Like, you don't want to offend this group, you don't want to offend this group, and so you're, you're holding back on the church's political stance. So let me just clarify a few things. One thing I want to bring clarity, and, and maybe it would help. Let me give the official views of City Rev about government, about who should be entrusted with our, with our society. Let me just give it to you straight. Here's what City Rev believes. We believe in a monarchy. There is one king who is above every king. He reigns. He has no terms. He reigns for all time. And all kings and rulers and authorities, their hearts are in his hand, as it says in Proverbs. He shapes and guides the, their heart as, he, as a, a river is guided. The waters of a river is guided is what Proverbs says. He is in control and he reigns. And our allegiance is first and foremost for him, what he's going to accomplish in this world and what he's going to accomplish in our city and in our society. Our allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus. Hallelujah. Furthermore, please don't misunderstand. Not succumbing to the political grind is not a fear of offending anyone. The scripture and the words of Jesus do plenty to offend. Here's what the words of Jesus, let me offend you for a second. Here's what Jesus said. He said, your affiliation to Jesus should be so recklessly strong that every other affiliation, every other relationship feels minuscule in comparison to it. 
Like, in fact, I'm not even saying that strong enough. Let me give you the actual words of your Savior. This is in red words in your Bible. Here's what Jesus said in Luke 14. He says, if anyone comes to me but does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's how Jesus put it. He said, whoa, time out, Jesus. Like, uh, what about the Ten Commandments? I'm supposed to honor my father and mother. What about Ephesians 5? If I'm a husband, I'm supposed to lay my life down for my wife. What about providing for my children? You're not actually saying we're supposed to love one another. Here's what he's saying. He's saying your and my affiliation to Jesus, our allegiance to Jesus, makes every other worldly affiliation, even to our own lives, even to our own children, our own spouses, our own parents, even down to the, the, the affiliations of this world, our affiliation to Jesus is so powerful that the affiliations of this world grow strangely dim. He went on to say this a few verses later. Listen to how he concludes this particular sermon. He says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Everything we have, we own, we belong to, or belongs to us, we hold loosely, renounce it back into the hands of Jesus because our allegiance to our king is that strong. It's Jesus, and there is no other close second. That's our allegiance to Jesus. Here's what you can expect from your church over the next year, and I want you to know ahead of time. Here's what you can expect from your church. We will not be pulled into the gravitational pull of a time like this when everything is made to serve politics. We will not be dragged down into that. Because in seasons like this, the political machine, the media machine, pulls everything into its orbit and they profit from it. It's their scheme to make everything political and it is used by the enemy to make us divided. We have a higher allegiance to Jesus and we surrender everything to Jesus. We surrender how we vote to Jesus. We surrender all of that to Jesus. We have a higher, a higher allegiance to Jesus. We will not, what the world does not need is one more platform commenting politically. It's not a matter, oh, if there's just, if just a few more places could just talk politics, if just a couple churches could speak real politics, then there'd be real change. That's not biblical. That's not what the world needs. What the world needs is more places that will preach the unadulterated gospel and bring the gospel consequences to bear on all of life. That's what the world needs. Here's what you can expect, is that every single week we will continue to, to lift up the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and let that influence every part of our life. We will lift up the King because we know if we don't, the rocks will cry out and we're not gonna let that happen. We will lift up Jesus every single week. That's what you can expect from your church. Listen, as we enter into this season, the challenge that we're gonna be talking about over the next couple weeks in the podcast is how can we set our minds on our, on our king? How can we spend more time setting our minds on our king? Because if we do, how could we possibly, if we have a living hope 
that we're clinging to? How could we possibly be overcome with fear and anxiety? How could we possibly feel threatened when our king is alive and reigning forever? How could we possibly feel anxiety? How could we possibly be feeling when we know who God is and we know that God reached out to us who were his enemies? You are the enemy of God. I was the enemy of God because of our blasphemous sin against the eternal, holy God. How, and we were enemies and he came to us. He loved us. He died for us. How could we then not respond to our enemies with anything but love? How could we not love them, pray for them, and bless those who we feel persecuted by? How could we do anything other than that when we set our minds on our king? How could we, set our, how could we have anything other? How could our lives be filled with anything other than joy and awe and worship when we set our minds on the things that are above where Christ is seated on the throne? How could we have anything but be filled with joy day after day, filled with worship when we set our minds on God and not the things of the earth? Because when we set our minds on things above, we're filled with joy. Can, can we set our minds on the things above for a second? Can we end our time thinking about our king? Do you, can, you, can you think about your king and how everything else, everything, every other part of politics and authority and rule, just, it just grows strangely dim when we think about our king. Can you think about your king for a second? The king of kings and the Lord of lords, he's a humble leader. He's a humble leader. He came in to Jerusalem riding on a donkey's colt, a small little donkey. His feet were probably dragging on the floor as he, as he came into Jerusalem, the very city that would kill him. But don't misunderstand his humility for power because he's coming again. The second time he's coming will be on a steed. This is who your king is. Your king is the one that the morning stars sang over because of his glory. But yet he surrendered himself to be stripped naked and nailed, pinned down to a cross, maimed and brutalized, bloodied, bloodshed, a mockery for you. That's who he is, his self-sacrifice for you. Think about your king. He's got unrivaled authority. His dead body was laid into a tomb, but a tomb was not strong enough to hold him. The whole earth couldn't hold him. The galaxy couldn't hold him. The universe can't contain his glory. He rose again from the dead. He defeated hell itself. He defeated death and holds the keys of authority. That's the kind of authority that your king has. Your king is the ultimate provider. You're not dependent on any other earthly provider. Your king has guaranteed you, guaranteed you eternal life. He's guaranteed you life for ages and ages with no end in the presence of God. And on top of that, he says he'll bring you your daily bread. He's, your king is full of unmatched wisdom, physics and mathematics come breathed out of his pure brilliance. The science that governs this universe comes out of his, comes out of his mind. And he says, I will cascade perfect wisdom down to anyone who asks. That's who your king is. Your king is perfectly just. Your king rushes to the victim. Your king rushes to the one who's outcast. You will find your king standing with the least of these, and he will redeem because he's a redeemer. He will restore because he upholds justice perfectly. That's who your king is. And Christian, his reign will never, never, never end. He will reign for all time. He is never threatened. He is never unthroned. Your king always, always reigns. And he knows you. 
Christian, he knows you. You're king, the king of the universe. He knows you. He sees you. He watches over you. And your king is coming again. It may be later today. It may be later this month. It may be in a few weeks' time. It may be next year. It may be a hundred years. But know this, as sure as the sun dawns in the morning and warms the earth, your king will come again to the earth. And once and for all, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the king of kings and Lord of lords. That's who your king is. Christian, is there anything more worthy to proclaim and meditate on than that? You just need Jesus. This world, it just needs Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would set a guard around your church, City Rev, your South Florida church. Would you set a guard around your church globally that we would be fixed in our allegiance to King Jesus? Not asking whose side, who's on, but taking his side. And having such a strong affiliation to Jesus that every other association is pales in comparison to King Jesus. Pray for those here that maybe need to make Jesus their king today. Pray for the, the believer that finds that their hope has been somewhere other than in Jesus. Bring them back to their living hope. And I pray for the person who's struggling without hope because they don't know Jesus. They think that this is about just adding some religion into their life, but it's not. It's about finding the good news that Jesus came to save us and become king and Lord over our lives to draw them to yourself. So if you're here and you want to put Jesus as king of your life, not just add some religion into your life, just making Jesus the centerpiece of it. Just pray this simple prayer right there in your seat. Just say to Jesus, Jesus, just silently, just say it to him. He hears you. He's here. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. You are king. You are Lord. You're my savior. I follow you now. In Jesus' name, amen. If just then that was your prayer and you surrendered to Jesus, um, if you're watching online, I want you to go to cityrev.org slash faith. It's a, uh, ask you a couple questions. We'll put a, we're gonna mail you a Bible. If you're here, you can, um, before you leave, you can go to cityrev.org slash faith, but even better, just before you leave, go into that front lobby, go to that desk, and they say, hey, can I have a Bible? I put my faith in Jesus. I became a, a Jesus follower. Just Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. 
If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.